Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful day to serve the Lord. Good to have you with us. And we are today going to immediately start off talking about dystopia. Doesn't that sound like fun? Sure. Yeah. All right. What do you think of when you think of dystopia? Dystopian. Zootopia. Dystopia. Zootopia, the movie. Go ahead. What's dystopia? The movie Zootopia, the movie Hunger Games, the movie Maze Runner, mm -hmm. The Giver. They're all dystopian. Uh, what else is there? There's Fahrenheit 451. There's the books It Can Happen Here, 1984, Oryx and Crake. These are all dystopian futures. Isn't Animal Farm also dystopian? Animal Farm is dystopian. What is dystopia? Okay, let's start here and start with utopia. What oh. is a utopia? Utopia is achieving utter, utter world peace within yourself and euphoria within yourself to the point where you get along with everybody and there's no more war and nothing wrong goes on in utopia, right? Basically. That's part of it. That's part of it. Perfection. Perfection? Yeah. Everything's perfect. No fighting, no crying, no hurt, no pain, no sorrow. That's part of utopia. So dystopia is the opposite of it. So dystopia, but it's still in the future. And mm -hmm. it is what? It's an imagined world or society in which people lead wretched, dehumanized, and fearful lives. Okay. And so when we think of a world in the future, what are we more taught about in this day and age, this, this 21st century teachings through books, through the government, through the newspapers, through everything like that? Are we trying to create a future utopia or are we definitely headed for a future dystopian world? We're trying to create a utopia, but at the same time, it's creating a dystopia in and of itself. Okay. Our vision of utopia is going to create a dystopia. Okay. Absolutely. And so we try and teach world peace and one world government, and we're trying to get to the point where we have one world currency, and it, it's all one, and we're all one, and we're all together. But then it will come to the point that there's got to be someone who's going to lead us. And then in that, that person is human, and so they're going to lead it the way they want it to lead it, and they'll lead it their own selfish way, and then it will become dystopic, even though we originally thought it was going to be a utopia. Sure. Let's look at certain types of conflicts that we have within the world of the 21st century that we live in. We have a conflict between wanting more things, so therefore we continue to accumulate and consume more products, so we have to get the latest uh, gadgets. We have to know how to drive the latest, fanciest car. We have to have more jewelry. We have to have more gold, especially here in India. Everybody knows you got to have more gold. There, you never have enough. You got to have more. You got to have more. You got to have more. You got to have more clothes. You've got to wear the latest trends. You've got to make sure that you have more shoes, that you have more undergarments, that you have the most important watch in the world. So there's consumerism. And then there's minimalistic living. So there's a conflict there. Advertising and media wants us to consume more. And yet we also realize through advertising and media, there's shows on Netflix like Marie Kondo or the minimalist documentary that's there on Netflix that say, no, we need to be more minimalistic. There's also the tiny house revolution that I see ad uh, that pops up on Amazon Prime or Netflix. 
So that's a conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Then you've got a conflict of veganism, but veganism is so far extreme. So I'm just going to be vegetarian. And then you have the people that say, well, I'm a meat eater. So I'm just going to eat meat. I'm a carnivore or I'm an omnivore. So I'm going to make sure that I always eat. So you have a conflict there between vegans, vegetarians, and non-veg eaters. Then you have the idea of, well, we're going to move from the fossil fuels that we're on and we're going to change the way that we do our driving. So we're no longer going to be dependent upon coal and we're not going to be dependent on crude oil. And so we're going to move to electric. But yet, what about electric? Uh, how are we powering electricity? Through nuclear power? Yeah, we yeah, are. That is one way. But we're also producing electricity through coal. We're also producing electricity through wind and wave and waves, water. Yes. And we're also using hydro. So we're using a lot of like damming up things. And as a result of our damming up uh, different rivers and different areas that have running water so that, that way we can get electricity generated from the water, we've changed the way the rivers are. So we've actually destroyed the environment, but yet we're moving to this type of electricity so that that way we can power our cars, which is actually destroying the environment. But if we're on fossil fuels, we're also destroying the environment. So there's this conflict that's constantly there. And then we have water shortage and then we have global warming and then we have earthquakes and we have hurricanes and we have monsoons that are so bad that they flood everything that they come in contact with. And so we have all of this chaos going on in the world, right? And so what we see when we wake up in the morning is, is we see trials, tribulation, hurt, stress, pain, discomfort, problems everywhere we look. And so what do we do? Do we, do we say, oh man, I'm going to make sure that I do this one thing, and if I do this one thing, then I'm going to help create a future utopia. Or do we look at life and say, you know what? It's all just going to be a dystopian future anyway, so therefore, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Or do we take responsibility for our actions and love God and love the world that he created and love the people that he created and try and do our best to clean a little bit up? So we have the governments that try and tell us how we're supposed to live our lives. They regulate things. They regulate our water. They regulate our electricity. They regulate us. And they tell us that we've got to conserve. But yet the government officials themselves, they live elaborate lives where they consume as much as they want to all the time without any conservation at all. Then you have the celebrities who do the same thing. And this doesn't matter if it's Bollywood or Hollywood. They're out telling us how we're supposed to live our lives, yet they're the largest carbon footprint providers in this world. And all along, what we do is we look to please them and or become them. And that's not what scripture has to say to us. Scripture has something completely different to say to us. And it is a warning that we are living in a world that is filled with trials, tribulations, and sufferings. And yet there is still hope and there is the Prince of Peace that is there for us. And so as we read today, John chapter 16, verses 20 through 33, let's keep in mind the final verse, verse 33. Xavier, will you read for us? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has a sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that human being 
that has been born into the world. So, also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. When it comes to the future of a utopia or dystopia is something that is philosophized about throughout all of history. We had the Greek philosophers that talked about a utopia that could be achieved. You have Buddhism, you have Hinduism that look for this utopia by becoming one with everything. So therefore you're like a drop of water being added to the ocean and therefore everything is one and one is you. And that's the way of philosophy that's out there. And yet Jesus kind of says, no, none of that is true. Here's the way it is. The world's going to be full of trouble, trial, tribulation, pain, and suffering. And he uses an example, and that is of pregnancy. A woman gets pregnant. She carries a baby. Now, I have never been pregnant, obviously. However, you have, Flair. How comfortable, and I'm not asking like, you know, this poor pitiful me kind of stuff, but I'm not asking like to be, you know, hey, pregnancy's great. But when do you become uncomfortable in pregnancy? Like how far along uh, do you become uncomfortable where it's hard to walk or uh, bladder control becomes more difficult? Like what are the discomforts? Everybody's pregnancy journey is different. Mm -hmm. For me in my pregnancies, I valued my pregnancies and was just excited to for the fact that I was even pregnant with sure. a little one inside of me. So therefore, uncomfortability depended on the weather. And like, so if it was in the summertime and my feet would swell really, really big, um, I had a lot of water build up during my pregnancies so i carried a lot of water weight so therefore my ankles were really 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 swollen and my legs were swollen so it it was kind of painful to walk and then at nighttime so definitely i would say probably like the nine nine month the end of of the pregnancy time it's difficult to sleep because the every time you rotate i would have to hang on to your back and push myself up and over and not only was I just pushing myself up and over, I had a little one inside of me that would, 
need to readjust as well. So by the time I sat up and rolled over, then the little one inside of me would need to adjust their position as well of how they wanted to be on that side. And it was, each, like I said, each pregnancy was different, but I would say uncomfortability was probably at nine months. I know every pregnancy is different. I know everybody's going to handle it different, but there is a period where there's going to be somewhat of an uncomfortability. Jesus draws it to the end where he's talking about the labor pains and how um, difficult the labor pains are. And that's what he describes this world as being. So I think of movies, I think of TV shows, I think of my own experience of watching my wife in the midst of preparing to deliver a baby. And I think of some of the complications that come along. And then I think of the way it's portrayed, like I said, in movies and TV with this idea that the woman becomes somebody that she's not normally. So like she's usually the sweet, dainty type of a person. And then she's getting ready to deliver the baby and she can like bend iron rods and she can lift cars and throw them across the room. She's got this superhuman strength because the pain is so unbearable that she's just like, and then she's like cussing and yelling at everybody. And she's looking at her husband saying things like, you did this to me. How dare you? And it's just this conglomeration of discomfort, pain, troubles, trials, then maybe she gets an epidural and she kind of, you know, smooth out a little bit like, woo, things aren't so bad now. But the reality is that you have this climax of ultimate pain to squeeze a baby's head out of a hole that's not big enough for the head to get out of. Then not only that, our head's not the biggest part of our body. Then there's the shoulders that are going to come out. So, you know, that's the assistance that the doctor brings in order to make sure the baby comes out. And that's where we were with our firstborn, Addison. Her head had come out. Her shoulders were not yet coming out. And her feet, she was such a long baby that her feet were all the way up underneath Blair's rib cage. So they were like, we can't even like feel the baby to try and help get her navigated out of of Blair so that that way she can be born healthily. And so you have this climax of, you know, some people have short labor, maybe an hour. Other people have long labor, like 32 hours, like Blair did. So, I mean, you have these variables, but yet there's still this moment, this climax of discomfort, of trial, tribulation, and pain. And yet all of that is forgotten once the baby's born. And that's where we are right now today. We are in a world that is in the midst of those last days. The labor pains are in their fullness of what they possibly can be. And there are people that feel the pain of what's going on. We see, like I said earlier, we see earthquakes, we see hurricanes or um, typhoons. We are seeing flooding. We are seeing weird freak storms going on. And these are all pointed out by Jesus as a sign of the times. They're like birth pains. And so it's got this appearance of gloom is inevitable and it's happening. And so therefore we have the media pointing, governments pointing, books and movies pointing to the fact that maybe we're going to go into a dystopian future. And yet what you have is a promise from Jesus who says, these are birth pains, but you're going to forget all of these things. As long as you trust in me, I am your peace. I am your comfort. I am the one that will get you through these moments 
if you trust in me. And you're never even going to remember the pains that you had here. And I think about that from the standpoint of where I am as a father and as a husband living in the 21st century in a flat here in India that we just came through pandemic where the most difficult thing that we had to experience was being cautious and staying in the house because we were on complete total lockdown for several months. For some people that was excruciating. That was like, oh my goodness, I can't handle one more day of this. And yet for other people, it wasn't as bad, just like pregnancy, right? You have those that have bad pregnancies and those who don't. And so I think of all that, but then I also think back to the past and I think of some of our, our ancestors, some of those who have gone through very difficult times and hardships and problems. And I think, weren't there earthquakes 2000 years ago? Weren't there earthquakes 7,000 years ago? Weren't there earthquakes 10,000 years ago? Weren't there hurricanes and typhoons back then too? Wasn't there, hasn't there always been flooding? I mean, we can even read in the Bible, just in the book of Genesis, within the first six chapters of the Bible, we see that there was a flood that covered the entire earth. So, I mean, these things have always been going on. And yet Jesus says, I'm promising you, I'm giving you hope that I will be with you through these trials, tribulations, and problems. Go ahead. Volcanoes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The one thing that I forgot, volcanoes. volcanoes. What? Tornadoes. And tornadoes. These things have been going on for all generations. So when they come and they uh, infiltrate our life today in a moment that feels and seems warlike, which is another thing that's been going on for generations. We've had famines. We've had wars. We've had rumors of wars. We've had people oppressing and suppressing pe other people. We've had prejudice. We've had hardship. We've had hatreds. We've had disgust for somebody just because they look a little bit different than we do or because they worship a little bit different than we do. And so therefore we violently attack them. We've had all these things going on from the beginning. And Jesus has told us in advance that these things are going to continue. But he says in verse 33 of John chapter 16, in him, there is perfect peace. The world is going to continue to be filled with these things, but be courageous. And why do we become be courageous? We are to be courageous because he overcame the world. He overcame the world and we can trust in him. However, what we often do is we either just look at the future as being such a bad thing or we look at the future as being such a good thing that we look at our lives and we throw up this phraseology that became very popular, I guess it was a decade ago, where they just used this acronym of YOLO. What is YOLO? You only live once. You only live once. YOLO. Might as well do whatever. You only live once. Let's be more adventurous. You only live once. Let's not care about other people. You only live once. Let's take down the man. You only live once. The GameStop thing was in the news for the past couple of weeks now. Right? Yeah, I forgot. The stock markets rose so high. It's crazy. Specifically in GameStop. Yeah. GameStop. Well, what was that? Well, I was reading an article about it. And basically what happened was it was the big, huge corporate Wall Street guys that they were desiring to try and just crush GameStop and put them out of business. And so all of the little guys, all of the individuals like 
you and me, they, they got onto the type of apps that you can buy stock in some, a company, and they all started buying stock in GameStop in order to overthrow what Wall Street was trying to crush. And instead, they rose beyond, they caused it to raise beyond what its value was, and it went up so high that all of the bigwigs on Wall Street ended up losing their money. And so they say it was like Robin Hood who was stealing from the rich to give to the poor because all the little guys made a lot of money off of it. And so now they're talking about what is the ripple effect that's going to happen. And the big call to arms in order to get people to overthrow the big guy was YOLO. You only live once. We might as well stick it to the man. We might as well stick it to Wall Street because capitalism is corrupt. And that was the driving force for why the GameStop thing happened in the first place a couple of weeks ago. And so we think about that and we look at how we live our lives today of am I living for the moment? Because this only happened for like basically a 24-hour period. The GameStop thing didn't last long. And they're saying it's the first time it's happened in like 35 years. And so uh, now you've got a bunch of people trying to pay attention like – Hey, maybe I'll win like the lottery again. You know, maybe I'll pick pick the right numbers. Maybe I'll pick the right stock. Maybe we can do this again so that that way we can make a lot of money. And their trust is more in their consumption. Their trust is more in their goods. Their their trust is more in their monetary value, and it's not in the Creator of heaven and earth. And so we have these ideas that are continuing to bombard us as labor pains would bombard pregnancy. Jesus in this passage is encouraging uh, those of us to remember that this was applicable. What we just read is applicable, not just to his disciples in 30 AD, but is also applicable to us in 2021, saying, the world is full of sorrow, but I will turn it to joy. The world has difficulties, hurts, and war, but I, Jesus, am your peace. And when he's saying that, I think of, back to the labor analogy, I think of when we were anticipating the birth of our first child, we went to Lama's class, and they did these, uh, okay, there's these breathing techniques, and there's these things, but they said more, than, more important than any of those things is you've got to have a focal point. And they said, your focal point can be anything. It could be a stuffed animal that you're going to gift to the baby. It could be a picture of your family. It could be a picture of the ultrasound. It could be a picture of yourself. It could be a picture of your husband. They said, that, but have a focal point, right? Mm -hmm. They were talking about how important this is. And sometimes we can look at Jesus and we can say he is to be our focal point in order to make it through the hardships in the life that we have today. But sometimes then he just becomes an idol, right? Because what we do is we go and we buy a picture or we go and have something molded and shaped into his image so that that way we have that focal point always in front of us. And that's not what Jesus is. Jesus is supposed to be more than a focal point. And so how is he your focal point without creating him into an idol? You treat him as if he's a being and not all powerful and too high for you to talk to. You treat him as if he's one with us he's a person as well as god mm. he's both and you treat him respectfully and you fear god mm -hmm. as in you respect him and you follow his commandments but not only that you also talk to him like you would talk to a normal person 
and your friend. Sudden, as a friend. Right. You talk to Jesus or as a friend because not only is he all powerful, but he's not so conceited in the fact that, oh, the only way you can worship me is if you do this. He doesn't care about that. He wants us to have conversations with us. He wants us to read the Bible and every day participate with him. He's not some idol where we have to go and worship the idol for this specific period of time, for this day, and then maybe this God will give me blessings. But I can't worship him during the winter because he's sleeping and I can't disrupt him. God's not like that. He's awake all the time. He's always listening to what we have to say. And he's always willing to be there and help us out. And so we just have to treat him as if he's alive and a real person. Yeah, treat him as if he is what he is. Exactly. He's alive. He's right there with us. He sent his helper to guide us, right? I mean, I think about the fact that I I find an importance in reading the Bible through, like Genesis, all the way through Revelation. Like, I I think that that's so important for me to do. And so, therefore, do I turn to you, Mallory, and say, all right, Mallory, I started reading the Bible because now it's February and I'm at this place. Where are you at? And start pressuring you to make sure that you read through the Bible every day. Have I ever done that? No. I've never done that to you. Have I ever done it to you, Blair? Yes, you have. I have? Mm -hmm. Have I ever done it to you, Xavier? I think once maybe, because I think one year I tried to read through the Bible, but then I got I got stuck in Genesis. Right? And you're like, so where are you at? And I was like, I'm still in Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get past Genesis. Do what you encourage them to go. Let's start. Let's start somewhere else. Start in like John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I was asking, I was trying to ask it in a different way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to talk about, have I ever pressured you to be just like me and to read the oh, same plan as I'm reading yeah. and to, if you're not, then you're not worthy of being in my presence and I am not going to waste my time on you kind of a thing. No, you've never done it that way. But like whenever you, I know like one of your mommy said is like, you know, you guys read the Bible, try and read the Bible through each year. And so you'll be like, I'm at this point in the Bible. Where are you at now? Yeah. Because you know, she's reading also reading through as well yeah and i get it in that way because that's what you meant by saying yes or, right <laughs> but he's never pressured us into you have to read the bible now and you have to read the bible 15 minutes a day and you have to do it the first thing you wake up and do your devotional and pray and listen to worship music and then you can go on with your day like you haven't done that i've heard that and <laughs> for some reason it feels more discouraging as opposed to encouraging because it feels like they're trying to force you to do something you don't want to do instead of Hey, I'm doing this. Would you like to do this with me also? Um, I'm reading the Bible at this point in time. If you'd like to join me, I'll include you in and we can discuss it over messages or even you can phone call me and we can talk about what we read today. Sure. Like that's more encouraging, I find, than telling someone, you need to read the Bible for 15 minutes a day in the morning and do your devotions and pray to God. And then continue on with your day instead of being there for us and encouraging us to do it every single day. Hmm. Like it's one thing to say to do it, but it's another thing to follow up and keep up with the people that you want to do it. And those who want to do it as well just don't know, like forget to or don't know how to. 
yeah continue and keep it up yeah and and thank you for saying that because what i was trying to get at is as important as it is for me to read the bible every day i don't want to be the kind of guy that is forcefully trying to eliminate people from my life because they don't hold up to my standard of living and yet at the same time i can't look at my bible reading as a checklist of okay I read the Bible, check. Okay, I read the Bible again, check. Okay, I read the Bible again, check. And then not paying any attention to what I'm actually reading. And there was a period of time where Blair and I went through and we were focusing more on meditating on a specific scripture instead of full on, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. And we spent a couple of years that it was like, okay, this year I'm going to meditate on this passage of scripture this week. Okay, now I'm going to re- I'm going to meditate on this one next week. Oh wow, that one was so good. I'm going to meditate on this one for like a month because this one's so important. And and so we changed up the way we read our Bible. Though Jesus is our focal point, we've done it in these different varieties of making him our focal point, so that that way he doesn't become an idol, and so that that way the Bible doesn't become a type of horoscope where we're just flipping through and opening it up and going, okay, what's today's reading? Okay, it's this. And then trying to read it and see how it applies to our life. And that doesn't work either because then that just kind of becomes a type of idolatry or witchcraft in and of itself that discourages us from continuing to seek after Jesus as the person he is. So for me to see Jesus as more than a focal point is a part of it is reading the Bible. Xavier talked about praying. What are some other ways that we can continue to keep Jesus as our focal point, but not making turning it into an idolatrous relationship? Is there anything else? Obeying his commandments. Mm-hmm. At one point, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, obey your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. But the greatest of these is love. Right. And there are multiple commandments throughout the Bible, but if you start practicing love, you other things will start falling into place and you can start applying other things. And so in that, uh, another way to keep Jesus as a focal point and not as an idol is obeying your mom and dad and respecting their wishes. Even if you're an adult and you make your own decisions, if your parents don't want you to do a certain thing. You can make your own decisions, but respectfully respect your parents as well. And then also love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a hard one for a large majority of people. A lot is going on last year and this year recently. And we watched a movie last night, uh, School Ties, which Mm -hmm. is a good movie. And it's about the fact that we also don't really recognize it but in america and other countries we persecuted the jews even though we said we were christian and instead of practicing what god says to do is that is love them just because just because they're jewish black white hispanic latin i mean uh, chinese japanese whichever race or culture or religion or anything they are love them for who they are they're just a person like you. And so, and then he also later says, and you will know, they will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Right. And so in order to be full on disciples of Christ and keep them as a focal point and not as an idol is loving one another. Absolutely. Jesus then called us to be filled with courage. He says, be filled with courage. Courage. 
Now, Jesus said this in another portion of scripture, uh, speaking to one of the prophets of old named Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, 9, he gives him a specific command, and that is to be courageous. Mallory, will you read Joshua 1, 9 for us? I have not commanded thee, but strong and of a great courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. Very good, Mallory. So here in Joshua 1.9, God is speaking to Joshua, saying he commands him to be strong and to be of good courage, to not be afraid, to not be dismayed. And he tells him that because he's preparing him to go into battle to conquer or reconquer a land that God has given to the Israelites as their promised land. And so with that in mind, is that what God or is that what Jesus is meaning for us in John chapter 16, verse 33, when he says, be courageous, is he talking about we're supposed to go and conquer the world? Is he talking about we're supposed to go and destroy others? Is he talking about we're supposed to be victorious and anybody that doesn't agree with us, we're going to slew them? And no, no, of course, that's not what he means. So what what does to be courageous mean for the 21st century? And even for the very beginning, when he's talking to his disciples, he's not telling his disciples to go create a kingdom that they can then overthrow all of the rest of the world. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. Jesus is saying to be courageous because this world is filled with trials, troubles, and tribulations, but in him there's peace. And so therefore be of good courage. What does he mean? Be of good courage. When I was around 10, I learned the meaning of courage in my own life. And that was, we were walking in the mountain and it was pitch black. Yeah. And one lamp was on and there was this huge moth. It was like the size of a football. It was <laughs> Anyways, it flew out of nowhere and I screamed, but we continued on moving on. And leopards are in the area because we're in the Himalayas. And so we're walking back to our area and I turned to the guy who was walking with me and my older sister, and his name was Anthony. And I said, Anthony, I'm scared right now. And he's like, you know what? You saying that means you're brave. And I was like, what? And he said, you saying and admitting you're scared, but able to move on and able to continue to go where you are is showing courage in this moment and showing mm -hmm. that even though you're afraid, God is with you and you still believe in him to get you to where you're going. And in that, I realized courage is the ability to admit you're afraid, the ability to say you're scared, mm -hmm. but press on because you know you're going to be fine. Mm. And even if something bad does happen, you still will continue to move on and press on and have the faith that God is there with you. And you will endure to the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Great definition. Anything to add? I forgot the question. What does Jesus mean by be courageous? Like how can Mallory, a 12-year-old seventh grader here in the middle of Mahali, India, make sure that she's courageous every day? In order to be courageous is to make sure that you are brave, but even if you're scared, you can still be brave. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely.
the Apostle Paul thought about these things, and he encouraged us through writings to the Ephesians, but also through one of his disciples uh, named Timothy. And we're going to read two different passages of Scripture right now where he addresses the fact of being very important to be strong and courageous and what that exactly means. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly Places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, all having done all to stand firm. And then there's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." So these are to encourage us to be courageous, to be strong, to not look at our circumstances as such a fearful and tumultuous time that we're going to absolutely be destroyed. But instead, as Xavier and Mallory both pointed out, put one foot in front of the other. Admit that you're fearful. Trust in Jesus, keeping him as a focal point, but more than a focal point, as your savior, as your master, as your king, as your friend, as the one who is your helper and who will walk with you through all of the difficult times. Throughout history, we have proof that people have talked about dragons and witches and boogeymen. They've been afraid of mass murderers or serial killers, monsters, aliens, people from, that are different from them. And they've done this all out of the fact that they are frightened. And so therefore they frighten kids. And we frighten, as frightened kids, we then grow up into worrying adults. And we get consumed by the idea that everybody's out to get us. Everybody's out to get me. So what do we do? We purchase security systems. We get locks and chains and CCTV cameras and hire security guards, etc. because we have a false sense of fear combined with a very real yet plausible threat that is out there just waiting for us to be vulnerable enough to fall prey to evil. And so therefore, we absolutely make sure that we protect all of our earthly possessions. All the while, we forget the most important thing, that is us. That is our soul. That is our heart. That is who we are. Sometimes we're more worried about somebody stealing our most expensive jewelry and we could care less about our children or our spouse. Maybe I can take it a step further. Sometimes we're more worried about our house and it getting broken into or being destroyed by a hurricane, a flood, a volcano, or 
an earthquake and the whole while we're walking around filled with grief and torment and trials that are destroying us simply because we won't live within the person who grants us immediate peace in all of these situations. And how do we know it? Because at the very end of John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, Jesus says, I overcame the world. I find it fascinating, the verbiage here and the specific way that he says it. I have overcome. I have overcome. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world, meaning it's been done. And yet Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. Yet he's already overcome the world. Now that's one of two things. That can mean either Jesus is talking here non-linearly, which means he's overcome the world because he lives in the future as well as he lives in the present, as well as he lives in the past, which he's God. So therefore he lives at all time. Time does not contain him as it does us. And I find that to be very true. And so I want to encourage you to reread. We're not going to do it here, but if you're listening, reread John chapter 16, verses 20 through 33, and notice how he talks. He talks in the past. He talks in the present. He talks in the immediate future, but then he also talks in the future that is so far away that we aren't even thinking about it yet. And that's the way Jesus talks throughout scripture very often is you can hear him in a parable say something where he's talking about the past, but it applies to the present. And yet it also could apply to the immediate future, immediate meaning like this day, this week, or this month. And then he also talks about things that are so far off in the future, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 2000 years from now, that they apply all the way along the gamut because he is the one who overcame the world. In that, I'm encouraged. I take up my courage because I trust in the one who was and who is and who is to come. I know he can take care of my immediate needs. I also know he can take care of my future needs. And I look at my past and sometimes I can look at my past and see all of the destruction and the hate and the hurt that was there. But if I would relook at the past through the eyes of who Jesus is, I can see how he formed me to be the man I am today. And instead of berating Jesus on the cross and blaming him for all of my hardships, I can thank him for them. And I can see that he was creating something to be stronger than ever before. What is the story of how you make a diamond? You have to take coal and you have to put such significant heat and pressure on it so that that way it continues to combust and contract and form. And all of a sudden it turns into a diamond. It doesn't just turn into a diamond because it's sitting on the beach basking in the sun and the waves and saying, oh, what a great vacation I am on. It's hardship and pain. It's struggles. A lot of refining. A lot of refining. How does gold become pure gold? It gets put in the fire. Mm -hmm. And it's heated and the dross is taken off of it. The impurities are taken out of it and then it's reheated again. And it's not just a one-time thing. If you're struggling today, if you're going through something that's a hardship, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through pain or suffering or any kind of problem, stand rest assured that Jesus is the one who brings you perfect peace. He's the one who's overcome 
all of your problems, and he is the one that will lead you into eternal security. I want to encourage you today that bad things are going to continue to happen. I know that doesn't sound like encouragement, (laughs) (laughs) but it's true. Bad things are going to continue to happen. The world is going to continue to show signs of birth pains, as Jesus talks about here in this passage of Scripture. Even up until the point where we are going to face death, we are going to see times get harder, more difficult. It's going to happen. There is not going to become a utopia on this earth. Instead, Jesus said he went to be with the Father. Why did he go to be with the Father? To prepare a place for us. It didn't say that he was preparing a place for us so that that way he could then bring it onto this earth and transform the earth so that that way it would be. No, he's going to another place to prepare a place for us. And as he goes to that place to prepare for us a new heaven and a new earth and grants us a new body, he's asking us to trust him here today, February 2021. And after all, he is the, you know, we have so many people bombarding us with saying, trust me, trust me. I'm the one that gives you all the answers. Jesus is the only one that can say, I was with you before. I'm with you right now. And I'll be with you all the way into the future, even if that future is in death, because he's the only one that's overcome death. Xavier talked about it a couple of times before. I think I've even mentioned it before on this podcast where Why do we keep on trusting in people who want to describe the future to us through what death looks like? Something that we most fear is death. When the one who died and yet was resurrected is the one that we don't want to listen to. He's the one that has the information. Instead, we want to go to a scientist who's speculating or we want to go and read a book about a little boy who died for 15 minutes and went to heaven. And we think, oh, wow, I want to read that because then that way it will get, no, Just trust in Jesus. And let's quit trying to profiteer off of other people. Gullibility. Jesus overcame death, hell, Sheol, Hades, the grave, whatever you want to call it, whatever you think the end to this life on this earth looks like. He's the one that overcame it. And he's the one that is preparing a place for you for all eternity. So it's my humble request that you submit your life to him, trust in him, and accept his peace. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day, and that everybody will have a great day today, and that we will all praise Jesus and love him for forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Whoop, whoop. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs>